Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. So I'm not going to preach to y'all tonight. I'm actually going to teach. Oh, shout it. <laughs> no, this is, this is, Danny says teachers tell it, preachers yell it. <laughs> but, <laughs> so I will be, I will be teaching tonight. And don't worry about trying to remember everything that I go through. Just grab hold of the overall theme of it. And it's going to help you. I'm going to teach you some things that are deep, yet simple. They're revelatory and they're practical. Get the overall point and it's going to help you to have breakthrough. So tonight's lesson is the door. Need to open some doors. Going to need to shut some doors. Now I'm going to have to kind of give you two lessons in one so you can truly understand this. I'm going to break something down to you. That is one of the most difficult things in scripture to understand. It's hard for our carnal mind to get wrapped around it. And if you go to most church people that may have been in church for 50 years and ask them to explain this to you, they'll give you a lot of church lingo, but they won't actually explain it. But you're going to know more by the end of tonight than most people that have been in church all their life. It seems complicated, but it's really not. God is very, very simple. It says in the, in the Psalms that he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. We are children to him. And he talks to us on a level that we can understand, but man complicates it. Because if a man can complicate it and make it so hard for you to understand that you think you have to go back to him to spoon feed you, then it keeps you locked into a system. But God never designed it to be that way. He wants you going to him. And he will start you just like a child on milk on the simple things and then he'll take you and he'll give you a little more chew on that for a while. Sometimes it's hard to swallow at first. Chew on that for a while. And he graduates you to to the meat. The Bible says he graduates you to deeper and deeper things. But for us to understand the main message that we're going to talk about tonight, we first have to understand the nature of God and man. God is a triune being. You have some denominations that say that God is a trinity. He's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three totally separate beings. You have some denominations that say, no, they're all the same person. They're all one. Here's the thing. They're both wrong and they're both right. They like to say, join my club because I'm right. Join my club because they're wrong. They don't understand scripture. Let me show you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, he says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but they all come from the same spirit. And there are diversities of administrations, but they all come from the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God that worketh all in all. Three totally separate things. The Trinity is right. We have Jesus. He was the physical embodiment of Christ. He came to interact with us physically. He had a body. There is the Holy Spirit. It is the spiritual manifestation of God. That's why it gives you spiritual gifts. But it all comes from God. So technically, they are all part of the same, but they are three separate individuals. Danny explains it sometimes by saying you have water, 
you have vapor and you have ice, but it's all H2O, but they are three separate things. It's going to make sense. It's going to click in a minute. Because what we have to understand to know how to deal with spiritual things in a physical world and to make a lot of the complicated things in the Bible start to make sense when we read it is that we are created in the likeness of God. So we are also three-part beings. We know what our body is, the physical part, this part. Spirit encompasses character. That's why the Holy Spirit gives you a holy character. The fruits or the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, humility. It's all godly characters. If we have the character of God, then we know we have the spirit of God. So spirit encompasses your character. If you have a evil spirit, you have an evil character. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotion. So spirit influences soul and then the soul is the mind the will and the emotion that's where the battleground is that's where the decision is that you make the decision if you're going to listen to an evil spirit or the holy spirit and the decision made in the soul is what the body then acts out this is why we battle in the mind the mind the will and the emotion in Hebrews 4.12, the Bible makes it very clear that scripturally we are a three-part being. It says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and is the only thing that is able to divide between the soul and the spirit. And it is a discerner of the hearts of man. This is why it's important to learn the word of God. Because the word of God tells us, is this thought or feeling coming from the Holy Spirit? Or is it just my soul, my emotions, my will, my mind? What is God's will and what is my will? How do you discern? Take it back to the word. Does this line up with the character of God? Or does it line up with selfishness? It's important. I'm just laying a groundwork so that you can understand that we are three-part beings. The devil will keep you battling because he said, this is just you. This is just who you are. This is just your nature. You're going to always have this this tendency, this addiction. You're going to always have this battle in the mind. But he's tricking you to claim something that's not you. He's making the fight internal. When you realize that, no, I'm being influenced by an external spirit. So now I need to fight this in the external. I need to speak to the mountain and cast it out. I need to say, get ye behind me, Satan. I need to recognize that there's a battlefield and I need to take the territory. We have to understand that there is a separation between the spirit, the soul, and the body. And I'm going to explain to you how mankind fell and how the enemy got in. There's a passage that if you read it, most people will skip over it because it's a little confusing. But you're going to see something. Everything you see in scripture, there's always these levels of threes. Why is everything happening in threes? Why are we saved by grace, faith unto good works? Why are there is that there a baptism of, of blood, the blood of Jesus, of water, and of fire? Why are there always these threes? We have to see things on all three levels. There's a spiritual, there's a physical, and then there's the transitional level. There are always three levels. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, it says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, which is God, the Word, which is Jesus, because remember in 1 John it says that in the beginning was the Word, 
and the word was made flesh. That's Jesus. So in heaven, there are three in the spiritual realm. There's God the Father, there is the word, which is Jesus, and there is the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And then there are three that bear witness in the earth. So in the heaven, you have this trinity. But in the earth, there's another triune being. In the earth, there are three that bear witness, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. These are your three baptisms. This is why we have three baptisms, yet it is but one baptism. It says the spirit. The spirit is what? Baptized by fire. John the Baptist said, I do baptize you with water, but there is one coming who will baptize you with fire. So the witness that we give in our life that the, the spiritual world is real is manifested through those three baptisms. The blood is the blood of Jesus. It cleanses our soul. In the Old Testament, it says that the life is in the blood, but the original word there is the flesh, which is soul. The soul is in the blood. He poured out his soul to save our soul from hell. It was our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotion that sinned against God. We took it upon ourselves to say, I want my will to be done. Jesus redeemed it. In the garden, we said, I want my will. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. A soul for a soul. He poured out his soul to pay the penalty for the sin of our soul. The blood baptism, Jesus, his soul for our soul. So when we are baptized, when we believe in Jesus, when we make that confession, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I want you to come and wash me with your blood. You poured your blood out to make an atonement for me. I believe it. Fill me with your spirit. I want to serve you. That is a baptism of blood. And then there is the Holy Spirit, which is fire. And then the washing of the body, the physical body, is the water baptism. But it's all one baptism because it's all part of one being. Like I said, it's not important that you remember all of this. I'm just trying to imprint on you that we are not just what you see. We are not just a physical body. We are a spirit, a soul, and a body. And the battlefield is in the soul. That's what's being fought over. That's what the Holy Spirit and the evil spirits are battling over control. It is literally like a junction box that allows the spirit to affect the physical. That's what the war is about. The souls of man. Now, having understood this, we were in Hebrew class and the teacher wrote a word in Hebrew on the board. And this is where the message comes from. In Hebrew, they read backwards. Well, actually, in English, we read backwards because everybody else reads the other way. All right. This letter is the Aleph. This is a Dalet. And this is a Mem. This is a, an A. Yes. In, America, in English, this is an A, a D, and an M. And this spells Adam. Now, this is very significant because in the original Hebrew, each letter had a meaning. It's a pictograph. It's a picture, but there's a meaning behind it that once it comes together, we look at Adam and we say, okay, we know what the word Adam means, but what does each character in his name tell us about Adam? The first character, the Ali, it represents strength. It's power. It's the first letter in the alphabet, and it's often used to symbolize God. 
The second one is a door. Represents a door. It also correlates with blood or the soul. And the third one is that which spreads out into the earth like water would flow. Multiply, go forth and multiply. But it, it gives you the, the imagery of water being spread out. And so then the teacher goes on with his lesson. And in my mind, it's like, all of these scriptures are lining up that I'm like, I know what God was saying. Because many people say that Adam, because this represents blood and this represents first, they say it's first blood. He was the first blood. I'm like, no, no, there's more than that. Because the Bible says that God breathed his breath, his spirit into man, the physical dust of the earth. And then man became a living soul. So you have a spiritual God. You have a physical being. How do you make the bridge? How do you connect it? He breathed. And then the connection of spirit and, and body made the soul. So what is this? Adam, and thus all mankind, because he was the first, was created to be the door by which the strength and might of God, who is spirit, would flow through and spread out into the earth. The story of Adam's name is what man was created for. You can see this perfectly exemplified in the Psalms in chapter 24, verse 7, when he said, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting door." And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. That's what we're meant to be. You want to see revival in your city? You're the door. You want to see things change in your family? You're the door. You want to see a nation changed? You're, everybody's looking, where's the gate of heaven? Where's God going to step down? He's not looking to step down. He's looking to step out. We are the door but there's a problem there's a problem because in the beginning this is what it was created to be remember God created everything perfect there was no sin in the world we always hear these people when you tell them about Jesus oh well if he's such a great loving God why is there so much evil in the world he didn't make that he didn't do that we did that he created everything perfect in the beginning we opened the wrong door we let the sin in because the battlefield, the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotion, that's the door. So Adam was created to let God's spirit in. When God's spirit is a voice, it's character, but it's also a voice. We get those battles in our mind. We know God's telling us to do something. We know the devil's telling us to do something. Sometimes it's hard to know which is which. It's a voice. Spirit is voice. We hear those thoughts in our mind. We think of voice as being part of the physical body, but it's not. Because you can speak, you still have a voice, even when you don't make any physical sound. And I've done this at our church before. If, you know, if I tell you on the count of three, in your head, say, I love you, Lord, but don't make any physical noise. One, two, three, say it in your head. You still heard that. You still know there was no physical action there. Voice is not physical. Voice is spiritual. And in the same manner... We hear the enemy saying, did God really tell you not to do that? Go ahead and take that apple off the tree. But we also hear the Holy Spirit saying, you know, you need to forgive them even though they don't deserve it. That voice, that's the spirit. 
the soul, the door, we have to decide which, which one we're going to open. The voice is like a knock. The enemy's knocking, Jesus is knocking. We decide who we open it to. So this is where everything got off track. Adam was created to be the door by which God's spirit would come and spread out throughout all the earth. He would affect everything and he would change everything for the good. He was supposed to take dominion. Problem started when Adam opened the wrong door to the wrong spirit and literally let sin in to the earth. Because in the same manner that he was supposed to spread God's good character, his spirit through the earth, when he opened the door, when the devil spoke and he said, I agree with you, he chose to open that door and that evil spirit came through and spread throughout the earth instead. And so then we needed redemption. Then we needed Jesus. Then we needed a second Adam. We had to do it all over again. I'm going to show you an example. Genesis 4, verse 6. Again, remember, the voice, the thought, the sound that's speaking in your ear is like the devil knocking. And if you start thinking of it this way, it's going to be a lot easier to slam the door in his face and not open. That thought in your mind is the devil knocking. At that point, you have a decision to make. Am I going to open it? The first example we really see of this after the fall is in Genesis 4-6. Cain and Abel had both provided sacrifices. God had given instruction on what the sacrifice should be. Abel gave the right sacrifice. It was a archetype that the lamb would be slain, that Christ would come. He, he offered his lamb that he loved. He did the right sacrifice. Cain, on the other hand, offered the works of his hands and was basically like, aren't you proud? Look what I did. God was not pleased with his sacrifice. And so the Lord tells Cain, he says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you mad? And why is your countenance fallen? If thou dost well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou dost not well, sin lieth at the door. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So God warned Cain, the thoughts coming in your head, the devil is knocking. Sin is at the door. He hadn't acted yet, but he said the devil is at. Now we all have this image. Jesus stands at the door of our heart and knocks. Will you let him in to come in and sup with you? But we don't realize that the devil's knocking too. We choose who we're going to open the door to. Who are we going to let into the world through us? Cain chose to listen to that voice. He let that spirit in and murder entered the world. He killed his brother. He acted on it. He allowed it to control his thoughts, his emotions. He did the enemy's will. He opened the wrong door. When that thought comes knocking, are you going to open it? Are you going to realize that this is not my thought? I'm going to slam it in the devil's face. Sometimes it's easiest to just speak it out loud. Devil, I don't agree with you. I'm not opening that door. You can go now. I'm done with this. Sin was knocking, but God's voice was warning him. He just didn't heed it. So this gives us the reason that we needed a new Adam. The first Adam's door was tainted. So we need a new Adam, new blood, a new door. What is Jesus? The door. This is why the blood was put over the doorpost in the book of Exodus. 
since we are the door that the enemy uses to get into the world. And you see, this is the issue. People say, why does God allow sin in the world? Because he loves us. Because we became the door that sin gets into the world through. In order for him to destroy the sin and the evil in the world, he would have to destroy us. But because he loves us, he decided not to destroy the polluted door, but to send a new door. He sends Jesus to redeem us because he loves, he, for he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever might believe on him might be saved and have everlasting life. He gives us a chance at a fresh start when he gave us the new door. He created the second Adam who would pour out his soul to save ours from hell and take the keys to the door of the kingdom back from the enemy. Because we are the door that the kingdom, the spiritual kingdom, affects the physical world through. Think about it. The devil could not affect earth at all if there were no humans. He affects it through us. But in the same manner, the Holy Spirit would not be able to affect the world either. But through humans. We are the door. It's the, we are the battle. This is what the war is about. Because whoever controls the door, whoever holds the key to the kingdom. Now, John chapter 10, verse 7 says this. This is Jesus, right? The second Adam. Because the first Adam messed it up. His door is polluted. And therefore, every person who was born from him, therefore, their door was polluted also. Because we carry the same blood. The blood is polluted, so we need new blood. We need a new door. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 7, Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So by his door, by his blood, are we saved. His blood, on, that's why the lamb's blood was put on the doorpost in the Exodus. Because it represented the blood of Jesus covering, cleansing the door. This is also why Ezekiel prophesied in the Old Testament when he was seeing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He saw it this way. This was a prophecy of Jesus. He said that he had a vision of the temple, Jesus being the temple, his body, his physical body is the temple. And he saw this river flowing out of it, that's the Holy Spirit, and going out and affecting the whole world. But it flowed through the door of the temple, that's through the blood. And on the day of Pentecost, when they sat and prayed, and there was 120 of them praying in the upper room, and all of a sudden you had this mighty rushing wind and the Holy Spirit blew through and it says that he rested upon them as cloven tongues of fire and they knew that the Holy... But here's the thing. These were Jews. They would have recognized that the only time fire ever fell from heaven was to fall on the temple. So when fire fell on each one of them, they understood that God was saying, each one of you are now the temple. You're the new temple. And so in the same likeness that the image represented Christ, it now represents us, our body, the temple, the Holy Spirit flowing out and affecting the whole world through the door. Jesus became the door so that we could cleanse our door so that we could become the door. That's why he said, wait till you're endowed with power from on high and then go out and be a witness 
to all the world. He didn't want people having to come just to the temple in, the, in Jerusalem to worship. He wanted us to go out to bring revival, to bring the spirit, to bring God, to affect the world. Let it flow out like a river. Let it affect everything that it touches, but it's got to come through you. And, and we all say Jesus come down, and there's nothing really wrong with that. He understands what we're saying. He knows our context. But in actuality, it's a very Old Testament mindset to think that we're still waiting for the house of God to come and like rest over our church when in actuality he's saying cleanse your hands ye sinners purify your hearts and the king of glory will step in through you you are the door you are the revival you are the hope and the salvation because if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me then how is it going to get to somebody else except that it comes through me I've got to be willing to be led of the right spirit. I've got to be willing to shut the door to the wrong spirits so that he can come through. Because James also said that there's no way that pure water and salt water can come out of the same well. You can't mix it. You can't have evil spirits. You can't have the wrong language. You can't have the wrong things and the Holy Spirit coming out of the same door. He will not share his glory. Right. There's one temple, and he won't share his glory with another. So we've got to be willing to cleanse the temple, close the wrong doors, and then he can flow through. And the thing that everybody's waiting for can happen out of you. It's very simple when you finally grasp hold of what it is. It seems complicated, but it really brings it back to a simplicity of the scripture. There is a spiritual world. There's a physical world. We're the door. Let his spirit come through you and affect it for the good. Or let the enemy come through you and affect it for the, for the evil. The choice is ours. That's why from the beginning he said, choose ye this day whom you will serve. It's always been a battle of who you're going to give your will to. I've heard so many times, you know, people say, well, you know, uh, I, I might do God's will or I might do my will or I did it my way or whatever. And it's like, that's the most prideful thing you could ever think. Because in actuality, there's only two wills. There's God's will and there's the devil's will. You do have free will, but your free will is the will is the ability to choose which voice you're going to listen to. If you choose God's will, you're going to do what God wants and you're going to do what's good. But if you choose anything else, you might think it's your will, but it's really by default. It's the devil's plan. It's the devil's will. He's just letting your pride let you think it was your idea. We have free will. But that's just choosing which door we're going to open. Because there's a spirit coming through that door. Whether it's the Holy Spirit or an unholy spirit, that's the choice we make. All right. So remembering that we were supposed to be the door. We lost it. We gave the keys. We gave the authority of our door to the devil. So then at that time, the devil has all right and authority to influence our thoughts our will and our emotions. That's why he runs you ragged. He runs your thoughts ragged. Then Jesus comes. He takes the keys back. He's like, no, I'm going to give them a new door and I'm going to give them the authority to shut that old door. That's why before Christ, people didn't have the power to put Satan under their feet. They couldn't shut the door. They gave up that authority in the, in the garden. But Jesus took it back. And so he says, now, if you truly believe, if you have faith, I will give you the grace, which grace is just the power of the Holy Spirit. I will give you the power to take authority and to shut those doors. But it all comes by faith. We have to believe it.
So tonight it's all about shutting the wrong doors so that we can become the right door that revival can come through, that power can come through, that hope can come through, that that word can come through, that the deliverer can come through. We want to be used. As we start to kind of come to a close, we need to talk a little bit about opening and closing these doors. In Revelations chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus said this. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, remember the voice is the knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, that's agreement. How do we open the door? Agreement. Same thing for the devil. We hear the devil speaking something to us. Oh, you know, you, you know that person, they're just really wicked and evil. You know that, you know, they're just looking for attention. They're not really serving God. They, you know, that offense, whatever. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, they're, they're just terrible people. They cut me off in traffic, whatever. When you agree, you open the door and let him in. So when that voice starts talking right away, I don't agree with you. I rebuke you, devil, be quiet. And sometimes we'll battle inside of our mind. And this is something the Lord had to show me. You can end the fight a lot quicker if you just speak to the mountain, literally out loud, be going in the name of Jesus. I don't agree with you. Jesus did the same thing. He quoted scripture. No, I know you're lying because this is what the word of God says. If God says I have to forgive them no matter what, so you're wasting your breath. Something I had to realize too is that if you know when you're truly saved, the devil's not in your mind anymore, but he's still speaking in your ear. And if you don't speak something out loud, he doesn't know that you don't believe what he's saying. So he's going to keep hammering you with it because he's thinking, well, maybe I'm gaining some ground. And in your mind, you're, you keep telling yourself, no, I don't believe that. No, I don't believe that. No, I don't. But two, day, two days later, you're starting to think, yeah, I believe that because you never spoke it out loud. But being an external source right off the bat, if you quote scripture and show him that you know better or you speak it out, no, nope, I don't believe that. You know what? I'm going to pray for that person, devil. You know, I'm going to make you know that you're wasting your time. He'll usually stop and start looking for another tactic. He's going to keep, keep trying, but he'll do it another way. The battle ends quicker, I find, when you're willing to speak it out loud. Because he externally can hear you saying, it's not working, devil. You're wasting your time. Mm -hmm. We like to give the devil the attributes of God, but he does not have them. God is omnipotent and omnipresent. He knows everything and he can be everywhere. The devil does not. He has limited resources. He does not like to waste them. Show him that he's wasting his time and he will stop. He will start looking for another way. So if somebody's knocking, 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 knocking at your door, if you're like, well, I'm just going to not let them, I'm just going to let them think I'm not home. They're probably going to keep knocking. But if you yell at that door and say, I'm not letting you in because I know who you are. You just soon leave. They're more likely to just stop and leave. Right. That visualization of the door really helps you to recognize what's taking place. Jesus said, if you hear my voice and open the door. So when Jesus tells us something, we have to choose to agree with it and act on it too, because that opens the door to him. When he tells us you have to forgive that person, we hear that voice. That's the knock. But do we agree with it? Or are we opening the door? Or are we saying, Yes, Lord, I agree with you. I lay that offense down. I don't know how, but I'm going to speak that out because voice is spirit. There is power in it, you know, or whatever it is that he's telling you to do. Speak agreement with that. And it opens the door to him and, and invite him to come in. Lord, come in and sit with me. Because when he said, he said, I will come in unto him and I will sup with him and he with me. 
and to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. If you have an ear, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. And what you are hearing in this room tonight, most of the church is not hearing what the Lord is really saying. They're not getting it. He said that if you overcome, how do you overcome? Learn how to shut the door to the enemy and open the door to Jesus. The word of our testimony. And what is the word of our testimony proving? The word of our testimony is proving that the door to the enemy has been shut. The blood of Jesus does it. We overcome by the blood of the lamb. What Jesus did, that's the blood, the new door, the new, it, that's where the power is. But the testimony proves that the blood did its job. So when you tell somebody, I used to be addicted, but I'm not anymore. That demon doesn't have control over me. That addiction has no hold on me anymore. God shut the door. The testimony proves the power of the blood. It proves that it shut that door. The keys represent authority. When he took the keys back to the door, he took the authority back. You now have authority to say, devil, I'm not letting you in. I choose who comes through me, and it's not going to be you. And there's a third part to that verse that most people leave out. It says, we overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, because the word of the testimony proves that the blood works and that they loved not their lives even unto the death. In other words, they were willing to speak that testimony even if it cost them their lives. Why do you think the devil fights the spoken word? so much why do you think that christians are killed all over the world to try to make them silence the devil is trying to shut the door to the right spirit he's trying to maintain the territory by keeping the armies of the power of god out of the earth if he can shut your mouth he shut your agreement and he shut the door he's disarmed remember that in the armor it says that the the sword was the only weapon that can attack the enemy. You know, we have the shield of, of faith, we have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the belt of truth. These are all defensive, and thank God for them. The sword is the only attacking weapon. It's attack and defense. But if you look in the Greek, it specifically says that when it says it's the word of God, it's the rhema. Logos is the, the written word, the Bible, but rhema is the spoken word. When the Holy Spirit speaks through you or when you speak agreement with the word that literally attacks the enemy. So if he can silence you, if he can silence your testimony and if he can silence you from allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through you, he has caused you to put your sword down. He's been disarmed. He's trying to disarm you. We don't want to have a fist fight with the devil when we don't need to cut him down with the sword. It all comes down to authority because it's faith. We're saved. By grace, which is the power of God, which gives us the authority to say, devil, I don't have to listen to you anymore. But it comes by faith. We have to believe it because authority comes by faith. If you're in the military and you don't believe that the enemy is defeated, then you're going to continue to let him oppress you. If Heather works in a prison, if she doesn't believe that she has authority over the inmates, then they're going to run over her. And in the same manner, the devil is still running over people because they don't really believe. They don't have the faith that God has given them the authority or the keys to the door. 
We have to believe that we can shut the door in the devil's face, that we don't have to let him control us anymore, that we don't have to listen to his lies, that we don't have to succumb to the oppression or the depression or the addiction or whatever it is. And the sad part is, is that many, even in the church, they preach a preach of unbelief. Well, you're just human, so you're going to sin. It's okay. Everybody does it. What are they doing? They are they are opening the door to the enemy by crushing your faith in the authority that you have to shut it. Is the blood stronger than the temptation? My Jesus is stronger than the curse. My God is stronger than the devil. I'm not going to give the devil more attribute and power than God. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to preach unbelief to people. I'm going to preach faith because he died once and for all to shut the door. And if you truly have faith that he took those keys and that that spirit is in you, then what can the devil do? What can we not overcome if you truly believe? That's why he said nothing shall be impossible for those who really believe. It's going to happen, but you have to believe it. And you've got to be willing to preach it. You've got to be willing to confess it. You've got to be willing to speak it. Because if you really believe it, you're going to speak it. It's going to come out of you no matter what. What's in your heart is going to come out. Can't help it. Yeah. It'll be like a fire shut up in my bones. Specifically, we're talking about what opens the door to Jesus. Spoken word, rhema. Where does that come from? Prayer. This is why prayer is the most powerful thing in scripture. We make singing a focus of our church. We make preaching and there's a place for all of it. But prayer should be priority. In fact, in scripture, when Paul gave instructions to Timothy on how to run the church, he said, first of all, let prayers and supplications be made for all men. The most important thing in a church and in your life should be prayer because that's how you open and shut the door. That's why real revival has always been birthed by prayer and nothing else. Because the way you get revival is to open the door and let the reviver in. You're not going to get it any other way. And how do you open the door? Prayer. Speak. Speak. Let the Holy Spirit speak through you. It's the weapon of attack. We need to start answering the call to prayer because just like the devil comes knocking, he knocks hard. The devil beats on that door all day long and he tells you all of these things that he's trying to get you to come into agreement with. Jesus knocks gently. And how many times does he come calling for prayer and we ignore the knock? What was he trying to bring into the earth? What was he trying to pass through that door? What, maybe it was a word for somebody. Maybe it was deliverance for somebody. Maybe he was going to use you to bring revival, but you just kept ignoring the knock. You didn't open it. Remember, we are the door that he, his spirit is meant to come out, spread out, and affect the physical world. Every time we don't answer that door when Jesus knocks, we can be assured that something that was meant to be affected in the physical world is not being affected because we didn't let that spirit flow through us. And the more we don't answer it, the more where you ever had youth, an alarm you set on your phone and you got so used to hearing that alarm that it didn't wake you up anymore. It's like you didn't even hear it. <laughs> I was telling our nephew the other day, I was because he didn't wake up for the bus. I'm like, you need to change your alarm because you've gotten used to that sound and your brain is ignoring it. Does the same thing with the Holy Spirit. When we keep ignoring that knock, it gets to where we don't even hear it anymore. So prayer opens the door. This is why the Bible says, Preach without ceasing. 
Sing without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. It says pray without ceasing. This is why the Bible says to do all things with good works and supplication. With prayer. It's all things with prayer and supplication. When the disciples went to Jesus, and this is a Ravenhill quote, and I love it. I can't take credit for it, but it's very good and very true. He said that when the disciples went to Jesus, Jesus was the greatest prophet, the greatest miracle worker, the greatest preacher, and the greatest teacher the world has ever known. But they didn't say, teach us how to preach, teach us how to teach, teach us how to do miracles. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because they knew that was the most important thing. Jesus himself often made time to get away and pray. He prayed in group and with his with his disciples and he taught and he ministered, but he would always find that time to get away and pray. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying in that time of prayer, when he knew he was about to go through this thing and he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He says immediately God sent an angel to strengthen him. If even Jesus had to be strengthened to do God's will, through that place of prayer, how much do we need it? We have to pray. If you maintain a prayer life, you will maintain power. If you don't sustain your prayer life, you will not maintain a powerful life. Ravenhill often said also, he said, a sinning man will stop praying, but a praying man will stop sinning. I was literally about to quote that one. That's a good one. And this is why we always like to emphasize, never judge whether or not a person has the Holy Spirit by their title, by their position, by their office, or by their gifts. Because the devil can counterfeit all of it. But the only thing he cannot counterfeit is a holy life. This is why Jesus himself said the only evidence that a person has the Holy Spirit is if they have the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of God. You can look at the, the Spirit as the seed and the character is the fruit and you can see he, he even listed for us love is the first one joy peace patience gentleness faith kindness self-control these are all character if we have the father's character in fact the song that was playing earlier he said do i sound like you abba daddy god i want to sound like i want to sound like my daddy i want to look like my daddy i want to be like my daddy if his spirit is in us then his character will manifest through us if we are letting ourselves be that door for him to affect others. I want you to think of it this way. When Jesus starts pulling you to prayer or starts speaking to you, that's him knocking on the door for us to let in. But I also want you to look at it this way. Prayer is also us knocking on his door. It's when we're going to talk to him. And so when, when we pray, we are knocking on God's door and then when he opens that door and talks with us, we are also learning how to hear him more clearly and recognize when he, when he is knocking on our door. The more you commune with God, the more you'll be aware of his presence. The more you'll hear that, the more you'll feel that, the more you'll know. And you'll notice that when you have a strong prayer life, you're walking in the store and boy, it's just so clear. He'll pull on you and, and that person needs prayer that person is hurting that person he'll give you that pull but when you get busy and you don't have that prayer life and that connection i was telling this happened to me not long ago i was in the store and i was in a rush and i was in a hurry and 
had just been so busy and I was thinking about what I needed to get done. And I, I talked to a lady for like a minute in the, the line while I was waiting to check out. And then when I got in the car, as I'm pulling away, some things started clicking that I was recognizing in the spirit. And I was like, you know what? I think that woman had cancer. I was supposed to pray with her. But I had already missed the moment because I was too busy. I was too focused on what was, what needed to be done to be in the moment. And so I often pray, God, help us to be present in your presence. So many times we get in the presence of God, but we're really not there. We're not listening for the knock. We're just going through the motions or we're so busy thinking about what needs to be done or doing church stuff or being that person. But we need to be present in his presence. And the reality is, is that I had gotten so busy trying to catch up with things that had fallen behind that I didn't have my prayer time. Because in reality, if I had had my prayer time that day, he would have probably warned me in advance that there was somebody that I was, I would have already been on the lookout. I would have known, but I missed an opportunity because I missed the knock. You can tell the distance that you start to gain when you don't have that prayer communion. It's communion. It really is communion. Remember when he says, take communion in remembrance of me. And we understand that all those elements of communion have a lot of representation, but in its simplest form, it was literally visiting communion. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Sit down, take time to visit with me. Visit. He said, I stand at the door and knock. And if you open, I will come in and sup with you. Why was he always talking about coming in and having supper? Because in that culture, they were busy. They worked. They had to you know, grow their food. They had to do all of this stuff. But it was at the dinner table that they visited. It was at the dinner table that the head of the household taught the family that he discipled. So when Jesus says, I want to come in and sup with you, he's saying, I want to come in and visit with you. I want to come in and have fellowship. Remember that from the beginning, we were created to fellowship with God. He wanted us to walk with him in the garden. But it says in the book of Amos, can two walk together except they agree. So when we agree with him, we open the door back for fellowship. We closed that door when we disagreed in the garden. When Adam said, you know what? God told me not to do this, but I don't agree with him. I agree with the snake. He opened the door to the snake and he closed it to God. But when we said at Calvary, when we said at salvation, you know what, snake? I don't agree with you. You lied to me. I agree with God. We closed the door to him and we open it back to God. It's important. It's important. Jesus wants to come in and that place of prayer is also where he will teach you. That's where he will disciple you. That's where you will get revelation. That's where all of our teachings come from. We don't, we don't read commentaries or books or we sit and we say, Lord, what do you want to teach me today? And he will come and sit with you and he will teach you. Pray before you open the Bible because you don't want to have an intellectual Christianity. The Bible says that the word brings death, but the spirit brings life. If you try to bring somebody the word of God, which is a sword, without having the heart of God, you will cut them down. But if you take time visiting with him until you get his character and you get his heart for the people, then his word can come out of you and it can be a bomb of Gilead. So the spoken word, we want a prayer. We need to have a prayer life. We need to understand that we have to break agreement with the enemy and we have to come into agreement with the word of God. Proclamation is a type of prayer and it's powerful. 
Uh, we did that a lot through the through the podcast. That is speaking out the word of God, speaking against the tactics of the enemy, speaking to the mountain and casting it into the sea. In the name of Jesus, devil, you're not taking my family. Addiction, you're going to turn my family loose. That is Amen. speaking out proclamation. There's power in it. Spirit of death, you're going to get out of my territory. This is my land. This is my inheritance. Being led of the spirit as to what you say, but allowing that proclamation, even just quoting the scripture out loud is a type of proclamation. No weapon formed against me shall prosper in the name of Jesus. There's power in that. Remember always to learn to be led of the spirit. We talked earlier about how he'll teach you and bring you revelation. Spend time in prayer first. I take time every morning and I'll sit and I'll pray for a little while and I'll worship him. I'll just worship him and I'll pray and I'll praise. And then after a while, I'll say, okay, Lord, what do you want to teach me today? And then he'll give me stuff and I'll write it down and I'll send it out as the manna. And people will be like, wow, you have such wisdom. I'm like, yeah, I learned that this morning. You know, like I learned it when you learned it. He gave it to me. I sent it out. You know, it, it, he's teaching us daily when we have that fellowship and that communion. It's important to have that prayer time and let him personally teach you. Paul, when he got saved, he got shut in with Jesus. He sat, remember, Jesus had already died when Paul got saved. He wasn't one of the original disciples. He never physically met Paul because God wanted us to know that we could have the same relationship with him that Paul did. If it had been the disciples, we would all say, oh yeah, but they walked with Jesus in the flesh. We could never have that kind of, of revelation and understanding. No, Paul is just like us. Actually, Paul was worse than us. Paul was a murderer. His job was literally to hunt down and murder Christians. God saved him and used him so that it would break the lie of the devil for all eternity that some doors can't be shut. No, God can shut every door. Yeah, Paul's job, his occupation before he got saved, he was a Pharisee and he would hunt down Christians, throw them in prison or kill them. That was his job. He thought he was doing God's work because he thought that they were, were blasphemers. But then when he met Jesus, Jesus saved him, changed him, cleansed him, and turned him into the greatest soul winner the world has ever known to prove that there is no door, that there is nobody too bad, that there's not somebody that, that God just cannot save. God has been given the authority to shut every door to the enemy. We just have to believe it and walk in the authority of it. He can do it. But you get that reassurance in that place of prayer and love him and praise him and worship him and wait on the Lord. David said, I wait upon the Lord. And I find that sometimes when you sit and pray, your mind will be so cluttered and the devil's trying to confuse you and confound you. That's why it's good to worship for a while because the devil hates to be in the presence of God's worship. He wanted to be worshiped. He was an angel that actually led worship in heaven. That was his job and occupation, but he got prideful and wanted to be worshipped. So God had to kick him out. And so now he hates when God is worshipped. Spend time in worship and it will quiet all the other voices. And then you'll be able to trust what you hear, what's coming. Sometimes if you just take the first thing you hear and run with it, it's not the right thing. Wait it out. Wait it out. Worship. Pray. God will be consistent and persistent. He does not change. He will tell you the same thing over and over and over. And you can ask him to confirm his word to you. He does not consider it lack of faith. I've always asked him, you know, Lord, give me, you know, three or four confirmations. Show me that this is you. And after doing this a couple of times, I thought, I'm sorry, God, I don't want to not have faith when I hear you. And he said, no, it's wise to test the spirits. I tell you to do so in my word. It's not a lack of faith to seek to make sure that it's God. It's a lack of faith once you know for sure that it is God. 
to then not do it. Because then you're just saying, I don't think what God's telling me is going to work out. But when you don't know that it's God, he wants you to test the spirit and make sure that it's him. Wait, he will be consistent and persistent. The devil can tell you something, right? But he's a liar by nature. He won't be consistent. He's going to constantly change. You know, you keep getting all these different ideas and it's not consistent. That's the enemy speaking. God will be consistent. So if you have to wait it out, wait it out to, so you can weigh out what is the same thing that's coming to you over and over and over as opposed to the things that are just coming and going. God understands that. Remember, he says he knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. And remember that the Bible also says that as many as are led by his spirit, they are the ones that are his sons and his daughters. So when we choose to open up the door to that other spirit, we are choosing to forfeit sonship. We have to learn to close those doors. We have to have the faith that he's able, he's given us the power and the authority to say, get ye behind me, Satan. You have no hold on me. I want to be led of God's spirit, his spirit only. And so how do we close those doors? If we open the right doors with prayer and agreement, then we close the wrong doors by renouncing and breaking agreement. It's all done in the place of prayer. We shut those doors in the place of prayer. So we're going to pray and we're going to break some agreements. And there are things in your life that you may know about that you may have to spend some time in your prayer time tonight privately that you just say, you know what, devil, I don't agree with you in this area anymore. I break agreement with that. You know the things that you need to just say, I don't agree with anymore. So Jesus, we come before you. Jesus, we believe that you are the son of God. In fact, go ahead and repeat after me if you feel led. Jesus. We believe, we believe that you are the Son of God, that you came to shed your blood to save my soul, to save my soul from, hell. from hell. Wash me with your blood. I go through that door that I might become the door that you come through to affect this world. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Teach, me how to hear it. Teach me how to hear it. Help me to follow it. Help me to follow it. And be used by it. And be used by it. I want to be used by you. I agree with the word of God. That nothing is stronger than his blood. He breaks the curse and gives me authority. He took the keys. He defeated the enemy. And he has no power over me. So I renounce all agreement with hell. With the, enemy, with the enemy and all of his lies in the name of Jesus. His authority, his authority over me, over me is, broken. is broken today. today. I, shut I shut the door in the devil's face and, devil's and, face. and I open the door, open the door to, the Holy Spirit, to the Holy Spirit and I will follow his leading. From this, day forward, from this day forward, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.
And so if there's anything in your heart that you need to break agreement with, then you need to pray those prayers. Lord, we break agreement tonight with depression. We break agreement with oppression. We break agreement with addiction. We break agreement with hopelessness and with guilt. We break agreement with condemnation. We break agreement with every lie of the enemy. We break agreement with false doctrine. We break agreement with unbelief with the lies of the enemy that say that the blood of Jesus is not enough. I do not believe it. I don't care who preaches it. From this day forward, we are going to believe that the power of our Lord is sure, is firm, and that it has done what you said it would do, that there is nothing that the enemy can come in with and undo if we truly believe. Miracles will follow those who believe because the miracle worker will manifest through us. We choose to follow your lead. God, we agree with your word that you have overcome the devil, that he's already defeated. And we are going to give our testimony and we are going to profess it no matter who comes against us for it. Even if they come against our very life, we will overcome because Jesus, you said to those who overcome, it will be given to them to be seated with you in heaven. And you told us how to overcome by your blood, by the word of our testimony. And because we love not our lives, even unto the death, we were willing to give it. We were willing to speak. So God, I pray a holy boldness in this place. I pray a holy boldness in this people that they would go before you, that they would open the door when you knock and let you come in and teach them and cleanse them and strengthen them and grow that fruit in them that they might manifest your spirit throughout the earth in the name of Jesus. What is the fruit but the reproduction of the tree? So when we manifest that character of God, when we show that uncommon love, when we show that humility, when we show that faith, that is what reproduces the kingdom. That is what causes it to spread out. That's what plants the seed in somebody else. Lord, let us be willing to be the demonstration that your grace is sufficient, that the power of your spirit overcomes the enemy, that we can shut that door at any time we see fit because you have already defeated him. He's already been judged. When he comes knocking and lying, we don't have to struggle. We can stand up and say, devil, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I don't agree with you and I'm shutting the door. And you know what I'm going to do because you stirred me up? I'm going to bang on the door of heaven and I'm going to open that door and I'm going to glorify God. I'm going to let his word come out of my mouth. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to magnify his name. I'm going to pray for somebody right now. I'm going to make it not worth your time to bother me. I'm going to make it something that you fear doing. I'm going to make it to where the devil tells every demon in hell, don't mess with them because every time I stir them up, they start praying. They start prophesying. They start looking for people that they can pray for and be used for. God, give us a heart that's not willing to lay there and be kicked by the enemy for no reason when we've been given the authority to rise up and put him under our feet and take the territory back for the kingdom. God, we've been praying for revival, but I pray that you can make them see tonight that the reviver wants to step in to the places that they are because you live inside of us and you are ready to come through us. That's why you said everywhere that the soles of your feet shall tread 
shall be taken because we carry your presence with us. The temple isn't on the mountaintop. It isn't in Jerusalem. It's inside of us. Lord, cleanse our hands and cleanse our hearts in the name of Jesus. And I want to bring one more point and we'll be done for tonight. You know, the Bible says, purify your heart and cleanse your hands that the king of glory might enter in. We purify our heart, the heart that's part of the soul, by the blood of Jesus. Jesus does that. We, we did that tonight. We ask him, you come. He does that purifying. But the cleansing of the hands, that's our job. Because the Bible says that if we are not willing to speak the truth, then we are guilty of the blood of men. Because if we see someone in their sin and we don't warn them and they die in that sin, then their blood is on our hands. When Paul was ready to die, he said, I stand before you clean of all man's blood because I shunned not to tell you the full counsel of God's word. And so for us, we've got to be willing to stand on the truth, even when it's not comfortable, even when it doesn't please our flesh, even when nobody wants to hear it. If we were willing to do what Paul did and stand on the truth of God's word and speak it in love, then our hands will be cleansed. And we will have clean hands and a pure heart and the king of glory will enter in and you will see him manifest in your life. You don't have to have a Bible college degree. You don't have to have a big church. You don't have to have an expensive stage. You don't have to have a nice suit. The Bible says you have to have a pure heart and clean hands. And I just told you how to get it. Be washed by the blood of Jesus and be willing to speak the truth. That brings us back to what was said in Revelation. They overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. Purify your heart. And by the word of their testimony, why cleanse your hands? And that they were willing to speak the truth even when all men came against them for it. That's all it takes. The gospel is so simple, we try to complicate it. In actuality, when it's complicated, it's usually because men are trying to validate their lack of power. The Bible says that the kingdom of God has not come in word only, but in demonstration and in power. God always moves to demonstrate through power what's real. If all there is is word, and praise God for the word, we need the word, we need teaching. But if there's never any demonstration, if you preach the word of God, but your life doesn't demonstrate the word of God, if there's no fruit, then it's proof that it's drawing from the wrong root. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.